Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. You what? need to wash your hands after you use the restroom. Yes. Period. With Steve Cofield. I like messing with him, but he's got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> Adam Candy. This is gotcha journalism. You know what? They're not going to gotch me. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Five o'clock hour, Battleborn Injury Lawyer, Steve Cofield, Adam Candy. Angel is helping us out here. At the studios, back in the Finley Toyota studios, Ari, 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 5 o'clock hour is up. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, San Jose State football because uh, the Spartans are in town to take on your Rebels. I almost said run Rebels. Run Rebel season is right around the corner, but the uh, Rebels looking for their first win. There is a bit of a rivalry, friendly, with Marcus Arroyo and Brent Brennan, their uh, buddies. Marcus Arroyo played quarterback at San Jose State and... uh, We'll probably get into this more tomorrow when we break down the game. And also uh, during our pre-pre-game, I'll be out there at the stadium at uh, 6.30 with an hour-long pre-game before the Learfield pre-game comes on. Chris Chapman, that's his pre-game show, but I'll be alongside. And um, one thing I will talk about, Candy, is San Jose State plays a bit chippy. Brent Brennan has a style. So I think it's going to be an interesting angle to uh, break down uh, when the other team likes to bust your horns and go a little extracurricular after plays, you have to show some discipline. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, you're an official. You see, I'm sure you've seen teams do it, try to get in some extra shots here and there, even on the basketball floor. There's nothing that I like busted less than my horns. Oh God. (laughs) All those horn busters that I've had to deal with over the years. I have a horn. I like my horn. And here they come busted it. I don't like the horn busters. You're exactly right. <laughs> I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a visual, right? Uh, yeah. Something I noticed that was being right. done a couple of years ago up at San Jose. And a lot of those guys are back. In particular, uh, Fajoko, one of their defensive ends. I'm going to put out my hand, right, uh, to give you the visual, but describe it to the audience. I'm a quarterback. I'm lying on my back after being tackled. Here's the defensive lineman rolling over my face. Right to get a little extra in there, um, as some people will call it, and we won't explain what this means. You either get it or you don't. Uh, some people will call that a nut roll, um, kind of rolling over you. Uh, that will infuriate you, and that's the kind of stuff that uh, and and there's stuff on the sidelines, a couple extra little jibs on a tackle that the Spartans will do. So um, tomorrow night's game will be spirited. I'll say that. I'm looking forward to that because you want to talk about tests for a young team. That's exactly what a test for a young team looks like that has nothing to do with talent-wise because we know San Jose State is a team with a much deeper roster than UNLV right now, but can you get San Jose State out of its own game by not reacting to that? That's the kind of edge the Rebels could grab. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Okay, I'll admit I lied earlier. We were talking to Brian Blessing about an hour and 15 minutes ago, and I said I really couldn't root for anyone in the Astros and Red Sox series. I'm rooting for the Astros. I don't like the Astros, but come on. It's the Boston Red Sox. So I am thoroughly enjoying what's happening today and also 
last night. Uh, Red Sox were up 2-1 in the series. Now they're facing a 3-2 deficit soon, unless they pull off a miraculous comeback. They're down 7-1 in the middle of the eighth. Boy, things did not look good last night for the Dodgers as they're down 2-0 in the series. They're down 5-2 in the game. They just haven't been hitting the ball. And then high fastball comes to the plate, and a guy who has just struggled now for a long time. Bellinger's up there, and, man, he freaking rocked this. He sends one yes. high and deep. Yes. Way back right center field. We are tied. Cody Bellinger strikes again. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Ryan Anderson, who does basketball and baseball for TNT and TBS, is one of those guys who's kind of underrated and underpublicized. He's had some really good calls in this postseason in baseball. I actually have enjoyed him more this year than I have in past years. I found him a little vanilla um, on certain calls, but he I thought he's been excellent this year. And how about Cody Bellinger in the season that he had? I don't know how much we put into the shoulder injury that he suffered on the old Bash Brothers move last year in the playoffs. Probably a lot. But Cody Bellinger, if you don't know, was one of the worst players in the majors all year long. Spent most of the year hitting in the 160s. Couldn't catch up to any velocity whatsoever. And nobody asked, but he sank my NL Fantasy team this year. (laughs) I can see that. And so watching him go after that pitch and hit that particular high fastball out of the park just a great spot for baseball and think about how that series has been like i didn't expect much out of dodgers braves every one of those series has had a twist at the end of the game did you think bellinger enjoyed his home run too much because i know that's always the unwritten rule of baseball we've got to examine how guys run the bases and celebrate and if they gesticulate and point to their wrists or whatever else they do Nobody should be busting Cody Bellinger's horns over that one. Like, Cody Bellinger should be able to celebrate that one from now until the first pitch of the game tonight. Like, Cody Bellinger gets the right to celebrate that entire thing just as long as he wants because if you can't celebrate that, then what can you celebrate? You want to tell me that you can't celebrate a home run up 10-0 in a May game? I don't agree with you, but I'll at least hear the argument. It's the playoffs. Of course you can number four when candy's in i like to bring up official or officiating issues i sent you a video of an official trying to manage a tom brady situation i hope you watched it can you describe what was going on here while a play was happening okay i have to be honest with you cofield when you send me officials things i often don't watch in advance because I want to react in the moment. Like, I want to be able to say, okay, how would I handle this, right? I want to have a whole lot of time to think about it. I want to deal with it like an official would. So why don't you describe it a little bit for me, and let's go. So Tom Brady is trying to run up the field to potentially make a tackle on offense, and a defensive lineman starts pushing at him, getting ready to set up a block, and the official from the split second the jostling starts is trying to separate them during an active play. Like, bruh, what are you doing? I understand that NFL officials are under unique pressure to protect the 32 starting quarterbacks. Um, If you do anything during a play, 
like that, you you better expect to to hear something from the league. You better expect to hear that you have effed up because you absolutely effed up. And by the way, how about uh how about Terry McCauley uh, this past week, the rules analyst, just basically ripping the crew over and over and over again for how often they were getting together to talk. Like, basically he said that you added 10 minutes to the game and nobody wants to watch you. Like, usually officials are a pretty solid little fraternity in terms of not criticizing each other for that sort of thing. Terry McCauley didn't seem to feel uh, any pain when it came to going after him. Good. Well, that's the way it should be. Uh, next up. Number three. All right. You know, it's a couple days removed from uh, this past weekend's NFL games. Hey, I, I am all for Aaron Rodgers acting like a cocky you-know-what, uh, and especially against the Bears. And I was watching that moment where he ran in for a touchdown, and he goes to the, the fans and starts screaming, I own you. But it went on for probably, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 seconds. That's not taunting. I don't want any taunting flags. But we've talked about the inconsistency of this. If a player yelling at the crowd, I own you, and then doing his stupid belt thing, which, by the way, that promotion ended like four years ago, uh, do something about your new rate that's getting offered to all of us. Maybe that'll be funny. Um, what are we doing here? Has the NFL officially told the, uh, the referees and officials no more taunting? Is that why a flag wasn't thrown? Or is it, oh, well, it's a touchdown. That's different from in the field of play or on the sideline when Darren Waller spikes the ball at no one? You know how this always works, Cofield. Yep. The first week or two, they throw a million of these flags. And then, so they did it. And they can say to everybody, we did it. And then it all starts to just trickle down, taper off, go away the rest of the season. Um, as for Aaron Rodgers, live your best life, sir. Live every moment of it. Um, we all wish we could get to the point in our careers that Aaron Rodgers is at, which is, I've done it all. Um, my employer needs me more than I need them. And I can pretty much punch any button that I feel like punching. And he's living out the dream we all have. It's basically like the end of office space over and over and over again for Aaron Rodgers. And so go on, date the models and the actresses, tell the Bears fans you own them, do the discount double check, write a very hurt emo song about Jake from that insurance company. Um, you're doing it all, man. You're, you're living our life. Do you think at some point his obsession with the fact that we can all get the rate from Jake is going to derail his season? I don't know, man, because do you think that's why Patrick Mahomes has had some trouble this I year? Actually, do you think he's spending too much too much time trying to figure out how to get all the flyest shoes? Yes. Yes. He's spending too much time as an average sneakerhead, and he's not yeah. studying the playbook. And there's also a problem because his brother is a giant pain in the ass, and let's not even get into his fiance, who's on social media every weekend cursing at people. Number two. Enough said. The joke ran out of ammo there. Uh, top two stories. Defensive player of the year in the NFL. Diggs, two to one. Garrett, four to one. Aaron Donald, eight to one. Just in front of Donald, TJ Watt, six to one. Max Crosby, who'd have thunk it? Max Crosby, 12 to one, ahead of uh, the next guy on the list, and Nick Bosa. I think Max is getting dissed. I think he should be higher up the list. His numbers are freaking out of control. Five sacks, 11 quarterback hits, that's first. 25 hurries, that's first. 43 total pressures, first in the NFL. PFF, 
the number one pass rush grade and a pass rush win rate, 27.6%. Also first, and on top of that, he's part of a defense that needed improving. It has improved. Defensive player of the year in the NFL. Put your money down now on Mad Max Crosby at 12 to 1. Candy. Okay, I, I just need a second here because analytics Cofield was not anything I was expecting today, but um, I'm, I'm now I'm blown away by the depth of research there. I don't I don't know anything that I read. I just I read it and I okay was, that makes okay now I feel okay order is restored. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, look, you want to take Miles Garrett, you want to take T.J. Watt, you want to take Max Crosby. Just do not do not tell me that Trayvon Diggs is the defensive player of the year. Don't even start with that crap because there is a major difference between a defensive end or a pass rusher who impacts everything that the, that the offense does. If you're Miles Garrett and you're going out there and you are forcing double teams and you are still grown manning your way through them, if you're TJ Watt and you're getting the strip sack that, that wins the game for you in overtime, if you're Max Crosby and you lead the NFL in pressures and Trayvon Diggs, largely what he has done is been in the right spot at the right time. Stop it with interceptions being a stat that we want to measure defensive player of the year about. If he gets a tipped pass that somebody else got their hands on, what credit are we getting? He's playing three flies up the same game we all played when we were kids. He's playing three flies up and becoming the defensive player of the year. That's not right. Pick any of the defensive ends, but don't take Trayvon Diggs. He's the recipient of other players' work. I will say one thing I do have to pump the brakes on because I'm I'm all about the enthusiasm for Raiders fans, and that includes a lot of the bloggers who are, you know, fans slash media. That's fine. It's a new age. Uh, I am seeing more and more tweets and short stories about how the Raiders need to lock up all these defensive players, which, like, let's let's worry about Max Crosby at the end of the year. I saw someone the other day pitching uh, this group between uh, Solomon Thomas, Casey Hayward, Denzel Perriman, and uh, Darius Phylon that they need to immediately extend these one-year contract guys. Can can we get through more of the season? Can they get through more of the season? Am I wrong, Candy, or do they, do they need to, after five games, check that, six games, lock these dudes up? Steve, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Don't. How good was the Washington football team defense last year? Mm, they're outstanding right yeah i mean they were one of the best defenses in the entire league they looked like a team that was ready to dominate everyone they are being scored on up and down the field at will by all manner of offenses this year defense fluctuates year to year even with the same players and if you're spending that amount of your cap by locking up all these players to longer term deals with more guarantees then what are you going to do about Derek Carr, what are you going to do when Henry Ruggs' contract comes up? What are you going to do if you're someone who thinks, I don't, that they should be extending Josh Jacobs? You can't pay everybody, and defense is not the place to sink it in with players who've had good games. Number one. All right, Candy, Golden Knights are on deck tonight, 7 o'clock at the Fortress. The Blues are in town. It's part of a three-game set through the end of the weekend. Uh, this is a real test. I know it's early in the season. That would sound ridiculous on the surface, uh, but because of the injuries, especially up front, things are going to have to change in terms of responsibilities. And uh, you believe that the defensemen, and you know, some of them are very equipped 
to help out on offense. They're, they are going to have to pitch in here for a while, right? I think they are, and I think they can. And when you look at this team with no Mark Stone for, who knows, uh, Brian Blessing was trying to interpret day-to-day, week-to-week. I think in Golden Knights parlance, that's probably about two weeks. Because um, if you say week-to-week on Max Patch Ready and we already know it's six weeks, then yeah, we, we, we get it. He's going to be out for a while with a broken foot. When it comes to the defenseman, I think this is the time when you see Alex Petrangelo from the playoffs step up for VGK. I think this is when you see the maturation of Shea Theodore for the Golden Knights. I think even you see what has been probably the most reliable two-way defenseman for the Golden Knights the last two years in Alec Martinez take another step forward as well. Pete DeBoer's system builds off Gerard Gallant's system, which is the defensemen have license to jump into the play for the Vegas Golden Knights. And right now, you have to do it. You have to put to put Robin Leonard into the same situations you were willing to put Marc-Andre Fleury in the first couple of years of this franchise. How many times did the Golden Knights give up an odd man rush in the first couple of years and just rely on Flurry to bail them out? Well, I think in order to be able to generate goals with most of your top line out, you have to be willing to take some more of those chances. And don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing them saying they haven't. They haven't had the opportunity yet. But I'm going to be down there tonight. I kind of want to see in person, uh, you know, how they look and what kind of jump they have, especially from that second, third, fourth line and what we uh, can kind of extrapolate out for VGK going forward. Well, I want you to tell me uh, as soon as you can what the crowd is like, and I want to build on that. On the way back, let's talk about what the crowd's going to be like at these VGK games uh, that are on the way and compare and contrast what's going on right now with enthusiasm and you know maybe some of the things fans are dealing with uh, when it comes to the Golden Knights and the Raiders. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. It's Cofield and Company. Cool moment last night, the call there on TBS. Uh, right now in the AL, 7-1, to one, top nine. Astros threatening to add to the lead, but they're up 7-1 to one with a chance to take the 3-2 lead in the series. Dodgers and Braves have started. That was Bellinger last night with the big home run in the eighth inning. They eventually win it. Series is 2-1, Atlanta leading. It's scoreless, scoreless in the top of the second. So the next, oh, I don't know, let's say six or eight weeks, Candy, are going to be pretty interesting to follow from the fan attitude and attendance standpoint with both the Golden Knights and the Raiders. It's game two of the home slate for VGK. I was looking today at ticket prices on the resale market. It looked to me like there were hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of tickets in the upper level for less than $60. Uh, let's see, in those 100 seats, there were like, I think, $78 tickets downstairs, 99 maybe low 100s. What do you think is happening here? Is there is there a, a bit of a protest with Flurry? Is there a thought that with the injuries, maybe they're not going to be as good? Uh, we got to track this over the next you know five or six weeks to see what attendance is like. Listen, I'm not saying there's going to be 13,000 in the building, but what do you think is going to happen this year? I mean, start right there, Steve, with the resale market. Um, 
I have bought many resale tickets to BGK over the years, and I go in with the assumption that I'm paying three figures. Like it's 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 a hundred dollar minimum to get into the building. So the idea that you can get in the 100 level for a hundred dollars that many hours before the game is uh, it's notable. Um, maybe it's because it's a you know a Wednesday game in the middle of school night, um, but that hasn't really stopped the Golden Knights in past years. I don't know. The flurry thing is real. Uh, the flurry thing is real in terms of the anger among the fan base. I don't know if that translates to people getting rid of their tickets. Um, it's certainly going to be a situation where VGK is going to face an extended stretch here where winning is far from taken for granted because they just don't have the depth and they're going to be playing some decent teams. So how will the fans react to that? It'll be the first time in five years that we've seen anything that looks like that. Also, I think we have to give at least a little bit of consideration to the VGK vac slash mask policy. Um, there might be some people who are less comfortable going into the building considering it's kind of a free-for-all uh, at T-Mobile. And I'm not saying that to, uh, you know, to disparage the Golden Knights or to disparage T-Mobile. I'm just telling you that from watching Game 1 on TV. Uh, watching Game 1 on TV, there were a lot more people that did not have a mask on than did. And, of course, there's no way of knowing whether folks are vaccinated or not because that's not really the way the Golden Knights are doing it. I just checked now because that was about five hours ago. I checked. I just checked now upstairs, and you know, not the greatest seats, but during the building, section two sixteen forty one dollars, and uh, now downstairs. I've never seen that. Lower corner eight, lower corner nine, uh, ninety five bucks, ninety uh, thirteen in the corner, one hundred twelve in the corner, uh, one hundred five. So yeah, eighty bucks, eighty bucks lower end uh, uh, section eleven behind one of the nets. There you go. My goodness, For, forty on the get in is. I mean, that's half of what I've ever seen. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be any issues with the Raiders and any sort of pushback over the Gruden thing when it comes to attendance? No, not at all. I, I actually think it's going to be the opposite. I think Raiders fans are going to rally around the team and Bisaccia and kind of look at them as if they got screwed in this whole thing. Well, I, I think the team is rallying around itself. You heard the players today. Derek Carr talked about them getting closer. Josh Jacobs said... It was a lot calmer on the sideline. There was no one yelling at us. There was no one cussing at the refs. Like there was no, and he said something bad would happen. We would all just move on. <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with emails now, does it? Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Jensen in motion, handoff with, got a hole, 30, 35, 40, He's at the 50, school's out. Charles Williams at the 30, at the 20, at the 10. Touchdown, Rebels. 75 electrifying yards for Charles Williams and the Rebels to the lead back. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. That was one of the coolest moments of the season so far for the Rebels, the 75-yard run for Charles Williams. Let's get into this game tomorrow night. A unique spot, 8 o'clock start at the Owl. San Jose State is in town. I think there's a little bit of a brewing rivalry. I'm not sure if the Spartans look at the winless Rebels as a rival, but uh, these have been some good games over the years. Kevin Richardson uh, calls the games. He's the color voice on Spartans Radio. He played football at Stanford, gives uh, Candy and Cofield a little time here. What's going on? Hey, man, great to be on with you guys, and I'm figuring it out. The Owl, the new, the new stadium that we'll, we'll get to see tomorrow night. I know uh, 
I know everybody from up here in the Bay Area is pretty fired fired up to check that out. And then that highlight you're running there with old Chuck, Chuck Wagons Williams, I guess what, the Rebel Roller got going after he scored that yeah. touchdown, the 75-yarder. We hope that that doesn't go off a lot tomorrow. So. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't, you don't want that slot machine going crazy. Uh, against the <laughs> uh, before we get into the game, I actually wanted to get your take on what we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago. Um, you're a Bay Area guy. You've been there. You know, you raised your kids there. Uh, you had one son go to Stanford. I know you have another one now at Northwestern. Are you more a, a, a Raiders guy or a Niners guy? You know, I, I'm a little bit of both. Um, I, I had the real privilege of, of meeting John Madden a few years ago. I met his son, and he introduced me to his dad. And, and uh, John's gra- grandson is a, uh, a quarterback at Michigan. So Northwestern and Michigan are playing this weekend, so it'll be fun. My son will get to see Jesse Madden. But uh, I'm kind of a 50-50 guy. I loved, I loved Bill Walsh back in the day. Got to know him. Never played for him at Stanford, but did some volunteer work as a fundraiser when Bill Walsh was the uh, interim athletic director. And boy, everything that you read about that guy and see about that guy is true. He is he is a he was he was seriously just a incredible operator no matter what he was doing. What do you think about the Raiders being here in Vegas? It's uh, must still be strange. You know, it is a little bit, and a lot of the people down here in my community, I live down in actual Monterey County, and, and, you know, they were just Raiders through and through. So you feel kind of bad for them, The you know, the trip to Vegas, although it's not a tough one because we're going to jump on the Southwest flight tomorrow and head down. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it feels a little different. Every time you tune in, you're kind of thinking, okay, that should be over in Alameda County, and, and there they are down in Vegas. So give us a look into what the Spartan fan base is feeling right now. Last year was a magical season. This year hasn't been as good. I wonder where they are. Like, are there are there Spartan fans who are like, this is ridiculous. Why aren't we winning? You know what I mean? Because the build was so good and, you know, last year was so great. Like, are they still patient or are they actually getting impatient? Well, I, you know, I think they're getting a little, a little impatient, although we've had – great turnout you know and, it, and it's a little bit funky i don't know if you've watched any of our games on tv yeah. the home games but the the east side has been taken down and they're in the process of building it back up new athletic director in place jeff Konya, and i made the joke he was an offensive lineman in college and loved pushing things around and he's pushing <laughs> stuff on that east side it's it's going to look good when he gets done with that um so i think the fan base is impatient but they're on brent brennan's side they kind of believe in what he in what he's doing and for San Jose, it's just been a, a lot like what what the Rebels have been doing. It, it's they're having trouble finding offense. You know, you had two guys last year that were just explosive out on the edge, and those guys are gone. And that production being gone, even with Nick Starkle, the original starting quarterback this year, in place, just didn't have that firepower. And then Nick went down, so the offense kind of changed up a little bit. And still, just trying to find spark on offense defense i think they're playing great as well as last year and then special teams has kind of ebbed and flowed if you will so this is always an interesting one for me i've known brent brennan the head coach at san jose for a lot of years um and you know he's he's great friends with marcus arroyo i know they talk weekly and daily at times so you know there, there there's a lot on the line for them independent of you know the win-loss record that they're they're fighting against so i know i know brent brennan was uh i wouldn't call him cranky this week but a little a little more to the point if you will on the short week wanting to get a get one in the win column this week yeah i i don't blame him for being cranky uh let, let's talk <laughs> brass tacks and i don't know if you talked to him about it or if, you know there's a coach's show where it's discussed but 
what exactly happened at the end of regulation where it, the running down the clock and, and going for a 52 yard field goal. I think a lot of us watching were like, what is happening here? <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I think it was, uh, I think there were a couple things going on. I think you had a backup quarterback, you know, that it had been playing pretty well, but I'm not sure maybe they were at a level where they felt like they could push it with him. And then I think they felt like, um, with Mercurio, the kicker, which incidentally grew up about, oh, half a mile from where I live, which is so funny. But uh, I think they felt really good about uh, about Mercurio from 51 yards because he hit a 48-yarder early in the game. There was no wind. And I think they just thought, hey, look, let's let's just get, you know, get the kicking unit out there, just kick this thing and be on our way. And, of course, he missed the kick. And then, you know, we all go back and, and, and dice it up a little bit. So I, I'm sure if you asked them in private, there was maybe a couple of things that they wish they would have done differently. But net effect was, you know, kick was no good. And that pushed it into overtime and, and just weren't able to hang on against, you know, a, a San Diego State team that's just so, so odd because they're they're incredible on defense. Um, and special teams are good because their defense is good. And offensively, they're just so awkward. So it'll be interesting to see what San Diego State does the rest of the year as they, I, from what I have heard, they're going to, they're opening the quarterback position up again here this week to see if they can find a solution. When we look at the success that San Jose State had last year and the build that went into it, I'm curious from your perspective of having known Brent Brennan as long as you have, um, I, I think we as Mountain West fans in general are pretty conditioned to seeing that if someone has success at a football job or a men's basketball job in particular, they take it, they bank it, and they go to the next school. They go to the Power Five and so on. And you know, Brent Brennan tested the waters but obviously decided to commit to San Jose State. What do you think about him in particular uh, led him to make that decision? You know, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, you talked about Bay Area guy. He grew up in the Bay Area. Dad, you know, played at San Jose State. He grew up going to the tailgates there at San Jose. And I, and I really felt like last year, and again, last year, I think you guys would agree, was just so odd in terms of everything that was going on. But, you know, to actually kind of punch it through, if you will, but have the asterisk by it because, okay, it's, you know, the COVID year and what did that really mean? And, and, I, and I felt like, I kind of felt like Brent kind of felt like there's, there's more to do here, right? We, we've got this rolling. We've got to get these facilities built and keep that recruiting moving like like it is and 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 they're doing such a better job just in terms of their presence in california and you mentioned i had two kids that played high school football recently so you're kind of tied into all of that recruiting stuff and and they're showing up at places they just used to never show up at so i i think it's a combination he loved the bay area he's he's got you know kids in high school his youngest son's a freshman football player and i think i think that was a lot of it. Like, hey, I've got what I want. I want to be a you know major college football coach, and we're building this thing. He always carries around the stop sign. You know, stop. I'm climbing the mountain, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I think it was a genuine enjoyment of we've got some good kids, we've got some things rolling. Let's stay here and see if we can keep it rolling. Kevin Richardson from the San Jose State broadcast joining us here on Cofield and Company uh, to play that out another level for Rebel fans who are of course hoping to have the same sort of rebirth at some point uh, with this program. Uh, you talked about the relationship between Brent Brennan and Marcus Arroyo. Uh, what do you think that Rebel fans could look at in how San Jose State built up that program to where it is now and feel some hope about? What could Marcus Arroyo emulate in how Brett Brennan did this? 
You know, I think it goes back to right, what's that old saying, the X's and O's, Jimmy's versus Jimmy's and Joe's, and how, how well you're recruiting. But, you know, San Jose kicks around that saying, you know, lock down the bay. They don't want a kid from Northern California to get past them or at least spend time with them and have a chance to recruit them. And as I've watched UNLV over the years, it's just been so transient. Bobby Halk and I were our, our buddies, and, and it was interesting to watch how he recruited, and they would say nothing about Vegas and the Strip, and then when he moves out, the next guy in, you start to highlight that, but it never really, in in my estimation, watching the flow of recruits, and then I kind of had a front row seat because, you know, having kids getting recruited, um, I, I, I think it is really that. I mean, Southern California and Arizona obviously are just a, a, a layup for a place like UNLV, and I think that consistency around we're here we're at the games we know we know the guy that you know we we talk to the guy that's maybe going to go to usc no matter what but he knows he's always got a place with us and it's amazing how far that carries in recruiting because maybe he's got a teammate you know that's a mountain west guy and 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 that plays well and then you're able to get that you know that other player if you will so i think it's about recruiting and i think that's you know i i get the feeling that marcus knows that you know, if you've ever seen or Googled any of that recruiting stuff they did up there at Oregon, I mean, that stuff is completely over the top. And, uh, you know, I, I look at some of the stuff they're trying to replicate down there at UNLV. It seems like it's going in the right direction. And I know you'll hear, I know when you guys had the bye week, there were coaches in Northern California. I talked to a couple people, sent me text messages of, hey, you know, a coach came through and that kind of thing. So that, that I think, is number one. And then if you win – people will show up um and you know if you're winning in the mountain west you're probably playing an up-tempo brand of football where you're scoring some points i know last year calling those games was sure a lot more fun when you were averaging you know in the high 30s points per game and right now you know really struggling to get points on the board just below 20 yeah unlv's work uh that bye week recruiting actually paid off with a couple of commits the last couple of days i got a 290-pound uh, Juco uh, defensive lineman to commit, and then they got a guy who's borderline four-star wide receiver out of uh, Texas. They got him to commit today. So the, the building process is difficult. And like you said, you, you got to build to the point where you've got veteran players, and that, that's a thing on, on the roster you're covering, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, when you start up front with Cade Hall and Fajoko, I mean, everything from there is gravy. Those guys are dynamite. Yeah, they really are. And Fajoko's an interesting one because we – do a little high school broadcasting. I saw him, gosh, play as a sophomore in high school. And I, honest to goodness, he was about maybe 205 pounds as a senior in high school. And very few offers. Comes to San Jose State, goes to work. And now, as you say, he, he is really, he's one of my favorites on defense. He always plays with a little little attitude, you know, from beginning to end. And, uh, and, of course, Cade Hall, that was another guy that was, you know, under-recruited. You say, look, let's bring this guy in. His dad played at Cal, played in the pros, and obviously he knows how to work. And you know he's he's turned into he's turned into quite a quite a base for that that defensive line. And it should be a hell of a matchup too. I wonder how the Rebels are going to try to defend Derek Deese Jr. They've got a couple of good linebackers, believe it or not. Last week actually combined for I think it was thirty-two tackles with uh, Winman and Ajake. But uh, you know Deese is another guy. His dad played in the NFL. Yeah, and you know that was one <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. It was like. Well, gosh, they, they sure threw it to Deese a lot. And I was like, well, yeah, when he's open, that all kind of makes sense, right? Um, but he was he was definitely uh, productive. And actually a guy with, if if we see Nick Nash as a starter quarterback, which would be my guess, um, 
that's a guy that throws that underneath stuff really well. You know, Nick Starkle is amazing because he could literally throw it out of the stadium. But uh, Nash has to be a little more creative and has, you know, found his way to Derek Deese uh, quite, quite a bit. And so that makes a lot of sense. I'm actually curious as to who the Rebels roll out at quarterback. I, I sure like the uh, freshman Friel, I believe is his name. Yep. The little bit I've seen of him, he, he throws the ball with a little bit extra zip. And that's a guy I think after some reps is going to be a pretty productive quarterback. Yeah, Brumfield's going to be down for a little longer, it looks like. I think he's doubtful for the game, and, and he wasn't practicing at the beginning of the week. And Friel's just got to make it through a game uh, because yeah. he's been beat up with his left legs. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. They've had a lot of trouble just getting a quarterback through the game. I wanted to build on one last thing here, and I think it's going to be a key point watching tomorrow night, is which team plays the most disciplined at times. Like you said, Fajoko plays with an edge. Uh, we saw some personal fouls, you know, some issues on the sidelines. It's just the way the Spartan team plays on defense – but that can also hurt you. I mean, a lot of penalties, they've been a penalized team. And I'll say on the UNLV side, they've been mostly disciplined, but then they can also be prone to getting sucked into that stuff. So I think the team that has the most composure is going to go a long way in uh, seeing who deciding who wins the game. Boy, I, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that we talked about on the broadcast last year was the team really kind of matured past if some guy takes you out when you're covering a punt. Well, don't get up and start John. Just don't let him take you out when you're covering a punt, right? Um, and I thought over the last couple of weeks, to your point, obviously in the first half last week, San Jose kind of got pulled into those John matches, and there's never any love between the, the Aztecs and the Spartans. And we actually asked in the postgame show, you know, did you talk about that at halftime? Because in the second half, there was a lot more focus and a lot less talking. And uh, Brent Brennan didn't actually say they talked about it, but it sounded like they did. Um, but that's been, you know, that fine line, right? How do you how do you play aggressive and up in your face and and, and physical at the same time? You don't want to pick up those penalties. And and uh, there were a couple of those last week that were just, you know, just unbelievable in terms of like, why are we going here when we're, you know, don't ruin a great football game, yep. you know, with a with a push along the sidelines, if you will. Kevin, that was good, man. Appreciate you coming on and talking some football. We'll see you at Allegiant tomorrow night, okay? Hey, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, have a good week. There he is, Kevin Richardson, color voice of San Jose State football, played for, uh, what was it, 84 to 89 at Stanford. Uh, his uh, oldest son was just at Stanford as a quarterback. He's got a younger son at Northwestern, so a little bit of athletic talent in that family. We'll come back a little more on the UNLV game as we get ready for the game tomorrow night right here on Cofield & Company. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Upset alerts. Upset alerts. Baseball. Astros win as a slight dog. Take a 3-2 lead in the ALCS against the Red Sox. 9-1. <laughs> um, I'm now slapping myself during the break. I don't I don't know why down 2-1 I didn't show faith in the series play on the Astros. What's wrong with me, Candy? I knew this would happen. I knew it! You obviously didn't look at the fact that Laz Diaz was going to be behind the plate for Game 4 and he was going to take the most critical call of the game and hand it to the Astros. Uh, these things happen. Uh, back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Upset alert, upset alert. Everyone's following this unbeaten dream season of Coastal Carolina. All right, maybe not. Um, 
Coastal Carolina tied at 14 with App State. That is in the second. Hey, have you ever been to Boone, North Carolina? Uh, I have not been to Boone. I will tell you that at one point I did apply for the App State play-by-play job. Is that right? I did. I did. Um, you will be shocked to know I was not exactly the right candidate. Ah, man. You would have fun there. Uh, when uh, everyone gets home, or if you're home now, if you have an opportunity, turn on the game. It is quite the atmosphere there at night, at elevation. Um, it's a crazy place. My experience with Boone, North Carolina, while you failed in your announcing gigs, you couldn't get it. Um, I actually landed a plum professional wrestling color gig uh, back in 2002, where I took a trip up into the hills in Boone, North Carolina, and I got to call some, uh, I don't know what it was, like local access TV, and... I got to see uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine about yes. 75, about seventy five pounds past his prime. Um, I'm not going to say when he walked into the locker room that he seemed a bit off or just I'll say it straight out baked. But uh, yeah, he was a little bigger than uh, he used to be, and uh, he may have been imbibing some former fashion. So how how with two minutes left in the show? Can you drop that? I have so many questions about this one experience. It's so great. Yeah, it's just unbelievable, but I guess we'll have to wait for another day. Yeah, poor Buff Bagwell was still Buff, but uh, was kind of on the outs with the real wrestling world. Uh, That indie wrestling circuit is is quite the circus, and especially in the hills. The hills of North Carolina. Yeah. Did, Did you get paid for this, I pray? Uh, I might have gotten paid uh, maybe, I don't know, 50 bucks. I might have gotten a, I don't know, a free combo meal at Bojangles or something like that. Checkers. Something that was popular. No, uh, do do not eat at Checkers, man. Do not eat. I I know we don't have a sponsorship deal, so I can say this. I ate at Checkers one time, and let's just say it wasn't filling. Stick your hand in there, Dave. By the way, did you see it was another bad week for our friends at Chipotle? We'll deal with you, Chipotle, if you want to sponsor something. Uh, A.J. Brown had food poisoning. He he tried to be nice about it. He's like, I guess I'm not going to get the sponsorship deal with Chipotle, but he got sick on Chipotle. Yesterday, he tweeted again. He's like, I'm never eating fast food ever again. It won't go away for the Titans receiver. If you ever said to me that I was not going to be able to eat at Cafe Rio again, I would starve. I, I would get the food poisoning and then go back the next day and be like, hey, just make sure, like, leave the food poisoning off. Thanks to Battleborn Injury Alerts for housing the show today. Give them a call with any legal advice you need. 5709000.